His family knows what it's like to run a really good horse against an almost unbeatable foe. So trainer Carlos Martin had an alternate plan for his star filly come dancing, and it seems to have worked out. Will Carlos Martin be able to ride that wave all the way to the Breeders' Cup? Plus, until late September, you might not have heard of jockey Abel Cedillo. Well, now you have. What a weekend for Abel Cedillo. This is his coming out party. When the world championships come to his backyard, will Cedillo have the best riders in the world looking across the jocks room and saying, hey, who's the new guy? We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll silent. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch, it's a hip-hopping finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can get us as well on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com or your podcatcher app. And of course, in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at AmericasBestRacing.net. I've been employed here at ESPN for just about 27 years. Long enough that one of the people currently in my department wasn't yet born when I started here. How sad is that? So I can safely say that 27 years is a long time. Add one to that total, 28 years, and that's how long it took trainer Carlos Martin to go from his first grade one win to his second one. Yikes! His first was the top flight handicap at Aqueduct with By the Firm in November of 1991. At that point, Michael Jordan, you've heard of Michael Jordan maybe, had won a single NBA title. He added five more. Tiger Woods was three years away from winning his first U.S. Amateur Championship. He won three of them, much less 15 professional majors. And O.J. Simpson was still just a beloved football player turned announcer. So, it's been a while for Carlos Martin, but now he has a five-year-old mare that has the trainer partying like it's 1991. Come dancing! Comes to the eighth pole, she's got a two-and-a-half length lead! Don the Destroyer next! Toward the inside and third and special relativity! Come dancing! Oh, she came running today! Despite that start, she waltzed home! Come Dancing is 3 for 4 this year, with her only blemish, if you can call it that, being a second-place finish to potential Horse of the Year Midnight Bizu in the Ogden Phipps on Belmont Stakes Day. What could be the end of the wild ride for Come Dancing's connections will be the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint in early November, and we're pleased to welcome her trainer Carlos Martin here to win the gate to talk about it. First of all, you had this horse run every four weeks or so in the spring. The Distaff in April, the Ruffian in May, and then the Ogden Phipps in June. Two months until the Ballerina, but then a quick turnaround to the Gallant Bloom leading into the Breeders' Cup. So how is she doing heading into the World Championship? After she got beat by Midnight Bijou, Barry, she just looked to me like she got really light on me. Uh, you know, she had run some great races back-to-back, and we were just went over it with Mark Holiday from Blue Devil has been a client of mine for years. And we just try to make a game plan where we figured we'd cut her back and try to make her a champion in the sprint division. Just seemed like chasing midnight Bijou might be a tough ordeal for her. We had always 
kind of were skeptical about how far she wanted to go, even though she had won the Royal Delta uh, going a mile 16th early, the year before last, and she was second in the go for one going a mile. It just seemed like it was a good plan to just regroup. She got a little light after the midnight Bijou race, so we decided to wait for the ballerina and try to win that grade one, which turned out great. And then uh, it's actually not 10 weeks. I was wrestling with that, but I decided to go ahead and run her in the gallant bloom on September 22nd. I got the prep, which she also won. So now I got the two races back since the Arlington Phipps, and I'm sitting ready, I think, to go five and a half weeks into the Breeders' Cup, actually. Speaking of Midnight Bizu, you know, we mentioned in our open that your family has a history of running a really good horse against a potential legend. Of course, we're speaking about your grandfather, Pancho Martin, who had a really good three-year-old named Sham back in 1973, but that was not the right year to have a really good three-year-old. How much did that enter your mind when you decided to shorten up Come Dancing instead of knocking heads with Midnight Bizu again? I never really think about things in the past. I mean, I know my grandfather was a great trainer, and that was a great horse, and he ran against probably one of the greatest horses that ever lived. But I just kind of try to do my own thing, just worry about my horse. And, you know, we just try to make the best game plan to give her a chance of success and to win a grade one. And we just thought that Midnight Bijou and Elate and some of the older fillies look like a really strong division. Not that the sprint division, having to run against Kopetsi, the test winner, and some other great fillies is not is obviously not going to be easy. But we just all got together and, we just thought that cutting her back, you know, she had been brilliant in the distaff going seven eight. Just thought it gave us the best chance to make her a grade one winner, which has been always the goal because we always believed in our hearts that she had that kind of brilliant ability and that kind of talent. And it was just that's just the way it just turned out for us at the time. You know, we were we were always debating, you know, what her best distance is. And the distaff race was great, and the, up to a mile, it seemed like up to a one turn would be her game, really. Oh, by the way, your grandfather was portrayed as something of a foolish villain in the movie Secretariat with Diane Lane and John Malkovich. I know because I was there for some of the filming of the scenes. It didn't mention in the movie that he led the trainer standings in New York for 10 straight years and entered the Hall of Fame in 1981. What did you think of his portrayal by Nestor Serrano? I thought it was an interesting movie, to say the least. I brought him to see it, and obviously he wasn't too pleased. It wasn't an accurate portrayal. Anybody that knows my grandfather knows that he was a gentleman, and a lot of those things never happened with him screaming at anybody. <laughs> I think he said he met Mrs. Tweedy, he used to call her by her maiden name, the day of the derby. She said, hi, Mr. Martin, can I say hi to Sham and wish you luck? And, she, and he took her over to see his horse, and they exchanged pleasantries, and they wished each other luck. And that was about the extent of his uh, interaction with Penny Chenery. So I, he thought it was quite amusing. But like I explained to him, it's Disney, and somebody had to be the villain, and they chose you. And he said to me, you know, he was about 86 years old, and he said, is there anything I can do? I said, well, if you still have about $20 million left, you can sue Disney. But other than that, just sit back and enjoy the movie. So I don't think he really enjoyed the movie too much. But it is what it is. He, he had a great horse. And if it wasn't for Secretary, you know, people theorize, you know, he broke the track record in defeat and the Derby and Preakness. And maybe he could have been the Triple Crown winner. He got hurt chasing him in the Belmont, and then he still was syndicated for $2.5 million, which wasn't too shabby back in 1973. It was a great horse and a great story, and you know it's like having you know going up against Michael Jordan in a championship game and scoring eighty, and Jordan scoring a hundred and just coming up a little short. Trainer Carlos Martin joining us here on In the Gate. He'll send out Come Dancing in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Now you obviously come from a family of successful trainers, including your dad Jose, who trained Groovy. I mean, this is a business built on pedigrees. So because of that, I would think clients would have come flocking to you. What made it take so long for you to get back to this top level of competition? I'm not sure. I think we had a little rough patch with Mr. Lizzo was my main client. And back when my dad got sick in 2006, 
my father had the uh, the cancer. I'm um, sorry, in 2002, and then I, unfortunately we lost him in 2006. And we always had a close working relationship. And Mr. Lizzo was a guy that my father trained uh, some great horses in the 80s, where would last in Noble Nashua, and had a champion filly with where would last in the Marlboro Cup winner that year. And he was always a big supporter of mine. And I kind of got comfortable in the state of being kind of a private trainer for him until uh, he passed away about eight years ago. And, you know, people, sometimes they see you with one outfit and, you know, there was a lot of people I think maybe just thought that, you know, it was just him and me. And we, they, I was beholden to him in a lot of ways. You know, he was like a mentor to me with my father, my grandfather, of course. And I think that kind of maybe turned some people off. You know, I had kind of a private job with him until he passed in 2011, pretty much. You know, so I'm not sure if that had something to do with it. I know when uh, when he passed away, it was quite an awakening to be a public trainer again and start almost from scratch about seven years ago. And I'm so grateful that Mark and Blue Devil and a couple of other clients like Matt Shara and Mr. and Mrs. Collinsworth, we have a really good team now, some really great people that have passion for the sport and really take the horse first. They're kind of the owners I have now, I say, are a little bit of a throwback because they really are patient with me as far as they want the best for the horse and I know there's a lot of pressure to, to do things right now, especially when you spend a lot of money for a horse. But I'm very fortunate and blessed uh, that we were able to get back on our feet. We went down from 40 horses when Mr. Lizza passed away uh, in 2011 to probably about five horses. So we've crawled our way back, and you know I'm excited about the opportunity to win a Breeders' Cup. would be really, really a, a sensational way to finish the year, and hopefully we're almost to $2 million in earnings for this year with a relatively small stable of 25 horses, I think is a good accomplishment. So I'm happy where I'm at. And it's come dancing with the lead as they head for home. It's come dancing in front by two. Pacific Wind all out in second. Pink Sands is third. Come dancing has opened up on the field. It's come dancing in front by almost five. Come dancing waltzes home to win the ruffian decisively. Let's get back to come dancing. This is a filly who was away from the races for just over a year. She suffered a fractured pastor and after winning her only race at age two what did you think of her future after she suffered that injury well everything is obviously uncertain obviously it was a disappointing day you know you have you have such a brilliant filly she went so impressively first time out and then three weeks later you're taking her across the street to ruffian equine and thankfully somebody like dr nixon is one of the foremost surgeons in the world is there to perform the difficult task of putting her back together and putting those screws in that pastern and you're just hopeful and worried and so many different emotions go through your mind and just thankful that Mark Holiday is so patient. Many people probably would have retired her right then and there and now waited the year, year and a half to bring her back. But I'm so happy that he did and give her an opportunity to show how great she could really be. Well, then she ran twice, finishing 10th in the Interborough at Aqueduct. And so she went to the sidelines again for a few months. Since then, she's been pretty consistent. What turned on the light bulb? Well, I think that she had always been brilliant. Like I said, she had a 77 buyer, then a 96 buyer off the layoff. And then we had a weird dynamic going into the Interboro. We were excited about making her her that her first start of the year after we had gotten the December race back after the long layoff. We were thinking we were just going to dominate all winter long. And it was a weird dynamic. We had about a week of some funny weather. It got really, really cold at below zero temps. And Naira had some kind of power outage three or four days before the race. I don't know if she tied up on me or what happened, but she didn't run a race, obviously. I couldn't find anything really wrong with her, but it was such a disappointing effort. And then once again, I have to give Blue Devil and Mark Holiday and James O'Reilly and the whole group their credit. You know, I, I, a lot of owners would have said, well, if you can't find anything wrong with her, you know, we waited a year. Just get her back in the races in three or four or five weeks and let's see. And Mark again says, listen, we know she's got the talent. We don't know exactly what went wrong, 
but obviously let's just regroup again. And I said, are you sure? And Mark Holiday said, yes, let's send her back to the farm. Let's give her another few months and let's start all over again. We're going to get this right eventually. There's nothing wrong with her as far as the pastern and the old injury side. I said, no, there's nothing wrong with her from that aspect. But obviously it was such a poor performance. It was too bad to be true. And then we just gave her some more time at Ocalistad and brought her back in the middle of the year in Saratoga. And she had a great victory and a two other then impressive win. We took a shot and ran her back a little quick. And then we regrouped and uh, got the Royal Delta out of the way. So ran a good race to be fifth in the Beldame after a very pressured pace. And then we ended the year with a good second to Marley's Freedom, who was a pretty sensational filly. He still is for Bob Baffert, who had won the Ballerina earlier in the year. And we were second in the go for one with a 102 buyer. And then uh, we kind of sat down and said, there's nothing more for her this year. Let's just try to map out and bring her back. She's sound as she's ever been and try to get a great five-year-old campaign. And thank God, I think we've done that with four wins, a second, almost 800000 in earnings and a grade one win. So it'd be great to capitalize and finish it off with an exclamation point, obviously. And in what kind of scenario would you like to see unfold in the Breeders' Cup to set her up best to win? I mean, in a perfect world, if she breaks sharp and she can sit and stalk like she did in the ballerina and even in the gallant bloom, uh, it was definitely uh, maybe not as tough a field as she's going to face or maybe not even as tough a field in the ballerina. But the way we've got her to relax and settle, Castellano, Javier is a great Hall of Fame jockey. He's made a commitment to her the last two and a half months. He's been out for every workout since we got her back from the little freshening after the FIPS when we got her to Saratoga July 11th, and we made a game plan for those six and a half, seven weeks to get her ready for the ballerina, and he was with me every step of the way. And every week, as I designed the schedule that I want to have her prepared for, from the three-furlong work to the, to the, to the sensational five-furlong work two weeks out, where she galloped out a mile in 138, to the blowout on top of the race six days before, he was instrumental in working with her in the morning. And she'd always been... Not a tough horse, but uh, she could have her moment. She was a, a little bit on the high-strung side at times. And Castellano, I think, did a brilliant job of just getting to know her, getting her to relax. And now I, I think that's really going to play well for us. Uh, these championship races in the sprint division, usually there's pace. You usually don't get away with the 23, 47 and change. They usually go 44, 45. And now that she's been able to settle with Castellano in the mornings, more so than even in the afternoons, I mean, it's a thing of beauty to watch him work her. I mean, she doesn't even look like she's in a high gallop and she's, just does it so effortlessly with him. So I think that's going to play hopefully a big factor in, in getting the best possible chance to win. Uh, hopefully Kofifi will have some company and there'll be some other fast fillies and we can get the right trip and give her a clear shot to win. And if we do that and she's got the, the stretch to run them down, I think that she'll give a great account of herself. I'm really excited about it. And we certainly wish her the best of luck. Trainer Carlos Martin, thank you so much for a few minutes here on In the Gate. Thanks for having me, Barry. Appreciate the time. Jockey Abel Cedillo had himself a career in one amazing day at Santa Anita. What can he do for an encore? We'll ask him when the In the Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. He rode for years in Northern California, where his success didn't bring much recognition. It was when he went south that he began to make a name for himself. No, we're not talking about the winningest rider ever, Russell Bays, that all does apply to him, but instead Abel Cedillo, who had himself a career in one amazing day at Santa Anita. Mongolian grown kick! 
takes off smartly inside the final eighth of a mile. McKenzie is all out, but today belongs to Mongolian Groom. It's Mongolian Groom, wire to wire in the awesome again under Abel Sedil. Paradise Woods now takes the lead away from her close to home. Paradise Woods wins the Zenyatta. Cleopatra strike has the advantage, and Cleopatra strike and Abel Sedil have won the John Henry Turf Championship. That was the highlight of three stakes wins for Cedillo on the opening Saturday of the Santa Anita Fall Meet. He also piloted Paradise Woods to victory in the Zenyatta, as well as Cleopatra Strike in the John Henry Turf Championship. Not bad for a guy who says it was never his dream to ride horses. The Breeders' Cup will be run at his track, and all of a sudden, that jocks room will feature the best riders from both the U.S. and Europe. John Velasquez, Javier Castellano, Ryan Moore, Frankie Dettori. You think they might look across at this young man from Guatemala and say, Hey, who's the new guy? Well, let's find out about the new guy as we welcome for the first time jockey Abel Cedillo here to win the gate. What's it been like for you after you won those three big races in one day? I've been grateful for for winning those stakes. Like uh, Tom has been telling me, oh, now we we got good business, and uh, I'm thankful for that. For that. Now you left Guatemala a decade ago, roughly, to come here, and wound up in Florida. But I read that you weren't looking to be a jockey. What were you hoping to do? Well, when I come first in Ocala, I I, I come to a, ran- a ranch over there and. Uh, I come with my uncle. I have an uncle there. He work at the horses too. And I start there, like for like groom clean, cleaning stall and everything. And um, I didn't expect to to ride horses. Like I was like, you know what? I like this job to clean stall, stay with the horses. I like this job. I want to do this. And my my uncle has forced me like, hey, I think you can ride horse. Like, why you don't learn and that's why I started a gallop there. So you tried racing in South Florida. How hard was it to learn how to ride? I mean, it, it's hard, but I was watching those uh, big riders like Rory and talking. I was like, I want to be like those guys. I want to ride horses like, like them. And I was like, start there working hard and learn how, like, those guys and that's why i'm i'm here now well given the fact that you didn't want to be a rider when you first started do you think that competitive instinct was inside of you or did you have to develop it well it was always on me i was well i have a, a help at golden gate too when i come there and i got a guy to like help me to how ride you know like teach me how how ride horses because it's different when you ride and you you work in the morning it's really different well you will go all the way across the country to ride at golden gate i mean how hard was it just to move all the way across the country yeah it was it was hard but thank god uh, i i have and all my career i got i got lucky and, and i have a lot of help and that's why i'm i'm here now well, it seems like the move to Golden Gate worked out pretty well. Be Thoughtful's coming right back. 
and be thoughtful and Abel Cedillo have retaken the lead and that's 1,000 for jockey Abel Cedillo. That milestone win, the thousandth win, came right at the end of last year after almost 10 years of riding at Golden Gate. What did it feel like when you won that race? Well, I was feel like really happy. It's a real, I win thousand races, but you know, but it was, I feel really happy. Well, we talked about how you've moved before, but how was it moving then from Northern to Southern California where that jockey colony is even tougher? Yeah, it's, it, here it's really tough, but I, like I said, um, Tom, Tom Canoes, we were talking like end of the meet at Golden Gate. I come here to meet him, and we were talking, me and him and Doug O'Neill, that Tom was like, we've been watching you, and I, we know you you can do it here. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take my chance to go down south. Tom, you're talking about Tom Canoost, your agent. Yeah, and then Doug O'Neill, he helped me a lot to, like, give me opportunity to ride his horses and give me winners. <laughs> Winners always help. And speaking of that, there's Mongolian Groom. I mean, obviously, this was a long shot to win the awesome again. How amazing was it to win that race with that horse? It was great. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I know that horse, he, he can he can run, like, you know, he can run, but he's been running with tough uh, tough horses. Like, even the favorite Mackenzie, he's... He's a really tough horse. And I was like, I, he win or, or, ah, I was like, it was amazing. And lest you think that Cedillo only wins in California, he also traveled to Churchill Downs last month and scored a grade two win. Lazy Daisy right back at it at the outside. Down to the final 16th. Lazy Daisy's re-rallied. His worries dead game toward the inside, but it is Lazy Daisy in front coming for the wire, and Lazy Daisy won it. What was it like racing at Churchill Downs, the home of the Kentucky Derby? It was great, too, like, when I was at that track, I was like, this is my dream. Were you able to put that aside, though, when you go out on the track? Is it hard not to look around and say, oh, my gosh, I'm at Churchill Downs? Yeah, it was really hard. Like, I was looking, like, it's me here at Churchill. Like, I can't believe it. Well, obviously, you have to have good horses to win these races. But the three races that you won at Santa Anita, the three stakes races, if we were to go back in time to June, just two or three months ago, let's say, would you have had the confidence to win these kinds of races back in the spring? Mm, uh, no. <laughs> no, because uh, it's a big race and it's a lot of jockeys here. Like, even though... The Philly Paradise Wood, like, I can't believe it. Mike Smith has been riding the Philly all the time, like, most of the time. And I was like, is Mia ride the Philly? Like, it's not true, or I can't believe it. <laughs> Speaking of Mike Smith, as someone who's as old as, as he is, he's like a father figure to certain jockeys. Have you learned from him? Yes, he's, and he, he's been like... Uh, and the jockey room, he's been really good with me. Like, he's been giving me a lot of how how ride big races. 
and he's been helping a lot. Like I, I've been watching him when he ride, when he was riding the, start winning a big race. I've been watching him all the time. What sorts of things would he say to you about how to ride a big race? He just like just ride confidence, like ride like if you you're gonna ride a like a four thousand claiming race like Golden Gate, you know. And he's like, just ride like that, like. Try to win and like don't get uh, don't get nervous, don't get this like. And I was like, okay, Mike, and I think I've been doing that. Like he's been telling me, I've been doing that. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck in the Breeders' Cup and beyond. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. All right, thanks a lot, and have a nice day. Our thanks to Abel Cedillo and to Carlos Martin. There may not be a bigger long shot to cross the finish line first than the plan to keep the Preakness at Pimlico. But it seems as though the city, state, and Maryland Jockey Club have reached a deal that's close to being a go. The plan would involve a lot of bonding for money to fix both Pimlico and Laurel Park where most of the racing is run. But to justify $200 million for Pimlico alone, a greater use concept had to be done. So the plan would involve transforming Old Hilltop so it could be used year-round, with athletic space in the infamous infield. Just where to stage the state-sponsored Drunken Infield Fest is a question whose answer is not yet sealed. It's hard for me to believe that Baltimore leaders would go to this trouble to keep a horse race, albeit a big one, when the national sentiment seems to be that racing should not be preserved. And keep in mind, the deal for this is not done. You can get us on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, or your podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at americasbestracing.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.